Well, I think it's safe to say that there is nothing like going in the right direction. Tell your neighbor, there's nothing like going in the right direction. It was about 10 or 12 years ago, I had a conversation with an acquaintance of mine who at the time was working for a Fortune 100 company, reporting directly to the CEO, and he said something that I will never forget. He said, you know, Mac, I realized just in the last couple of years that my boss, the CEO, could walk in and fire me at a moment's notice. He goes, but here's where, it's get, here's where it gets weird. When he said that to me was when I started having fun. I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to have you connect the dots that the reality of your being fired means you can start having fun. He said, well, here's what I realized. He goes, my faith in Christ tells me that God has me in the palm of his hand. He has my family. I don't have to worry about paying bills. And, and I didn't get to where I got to accidentally. I've worked really hard. I've, I've honed some skills that I know I could put to use somewhere else. I can get a job somewhere else. And when I realized that I didn't have to worry about that, I decided to just let it rip. I decided at that moment I could just start having fun with work as an expression of my faith. What my friend was getting at is this freedom, this peace of mind and peace of heart that comes from knowing that you're going in the right direction. Now, he was talking about the professional context, but it's also true spiritually. It's also true physically. It's true maritally. It's true parentally. It's true in every way, this incredible peace that comes from knowing you're going in the right direction. Going in the right direction just means that you're doing the right things for the right reasons. The Bible refers to this as righteousness. And righteousness is one of the driving themes of Jesus's earthly ministry. Throughout his teaching, he talked about it over and over and over again. Now, last week, we started a teaching series called First Things First. And we're doing a deep dive really on one sentence that Jesus uttered during his Sermon on the Mount. His Sermon on the Mount was really his, his coming out, his debut as a, as a teacher, a, a preacher. And it's in this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus lays out his agenda, his priorities. And it's within that context that he starts to talk about our priorities. He starts to talk about what it looks like when we are going in the right direction and the peace that comes from that. Just by way of review, I want to read that sentence, this context from Matthew chapter 6. These are the words of Christ. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And as we established last week, Jesus is saying here that the path to peace is paved with priorities. 
our priorities that pursue the purposes of God, as we talked about last week. But he's also showing us here that it's not just about priorities. It's not just about our motives, but it's also about what we do. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, the righteousness of God. And if the path to peace is paved with priorities, then it's also true that the route to rest is in righteousness, in being right, in going the right direction, in doing the right things for the right reasons. This is the route to rest, to have that that kind of confidence that my friend was talking about professionally, to be able to just kind of take a deep breath, to be able to to be confident in God, to be able to be confident in your relationships, confident in your work, confident financially, confident in every part of life because of the righteousness of God. Now, righteousness is one of those words that has been around for so long that I think a lot of times we misunderstand it if we ever understood it to begin with because we use it usually in a negative sense, don't we? We talk about somebody being self-righteous, kind of holier than thou, whenever we, we don't use the word righteous a whole lot, do we? Do you? I don't. Maybe, maybe every now and then you use it like the assistant's principal in Ferris Bueller's day off. You know, they think he's a righteous dude. Remember her? Sometimes we use it in that sense. But righteousness is one of these words that is so foundational to the Christian faith, so, so central and core to what it means to follow Christ, that we have to understand it. We we have to own it. So here's what we mean when we use the word righteousness. Here's what Jesus meant when it's used biblically. Righteousness means a verdict of ethical, moral, and spiritual rightness and perfection. It is a verdict of ethical, moral, and spiritual rightness and perfection. Ultimately, we're talking about the righteousness of God. And righteousness has been what God has always been about, particularly in relation to a relationship with you and me. Did you realize that humanity was born? God created us in a state of righteousness. It was God's intent, God's desire, and his design that we would exist in this state of righteousness so that we could live in relationship with him. It's the whole reason humanity ever came along. And so we were created in this state, but we all know since Genesis chapter three, we didn't stay there very long, did we? And, And you know, it's not just a design. It's not just a desire of God for righteousness. It is also a demand of God. Does that sound weird to you that that God would place a demand or that any kind of relationship has demands? For a relationship to work, there have to be certain expectations, certain demands that are met. I've shared this with y'all before. You know, I'm I'm not ashamed of this, but Julie and I have been married for 32 years. As part of our marriage relationship, as part of our covenant, Julie demands that I do not date other women. She's really funny that way. She's just like, no, that's off, the t- that's off the table. And I was like, you know what? If that's what it takes, then fine. But by the way, I don't like her dating other men. So she doesn't. I don't. The good news is when you have a healthy, 
God-honoring, God-blessed marriage, you don't want to date anybody else. First of all, you don't have the time. If you've got a God-honoring, God-blessed marriage, you don't have time for anybody else. And let's just say this while we're on the subject. If you have a God-honoring, God-blessed marriage, you don't have the energy to date anybody else. I mean, it's exhausting. Would somebody help me preach? Now y'all aren't laughing as loud because you're sitting next to your... I'm just saying. You, you know what I'm talking about. Well, for a holy and perfect, righteous God to engage in relationship with humanity, we had to maintain our righteousness, but we didn't. We, we all know that we... we abandoned the road of righteousness. We walked away from it. That's sin. And sin corrupted. Sin corroded the righteousness that God created us in. And just to understand some of the consequences of sin, look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 says, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous. Not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. Now, context is really important here. When it says that no one is righteous, that means left to our own devices. Ever since Genesis 3, no one is good enough. No one is righteous enough. No one is going in the right direction enough to actually achieve or acquire the righteousness necessary to stay in contact with God. But God, even in the face of our rebellion, even in that reality, God helps out. God steps in. That's how much this relationship between you and God, between God and me, that's how much it matters to God. And Paul explains this in the letter to the church at Galatia. In Galatians chapter three, verse six, this is what Paul writes. He says, now in the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So even all the way back to Abraham, God was in the business of providing a vehicle, a conduit for grace, and that grace came through faith. When Abraham believed God, when God called Abraham into covenant relationship with himself. When he said, Abram, I'm gonna make out of you an incredible nation that will bless the entire world. Your family, your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, your family will bless the entire world. If you or I had been Abram who became Abraham at that moment, it would have been all we could do not to laugh in God's face. Abram was like, Okay, let's go. But you have to understand, at this point, Abram is 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, is 90 years old, and they have no children. They have not one child. And here's a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, and God says, you're going to have an amazing family. I don't know if you laugh or you cry at that news. But Abraham believed God. His faith is why God counted him as righteous. He counted him. He declared it. He said, you in your faith are now counted as righteous. You didn't do anything. 
You just believed me. You trusted me. And so I will count you as righteous. And what God started in Abraham, he brought to fruition and fulfillment in the person of Christ. And what we're going to do in the time that we've got left is just, I want to take a look at the results of righteousness. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the risks of righteousness. But I want us to really camp out in the rewards of righteousness. The results of righteousness. You see it in the life of Abraham here. The results of righteousness, number one, is membership in the covenant community. It started with Abraham. This was the beginning of this covenant community that would become God's chosen people, Israel. Israel, God's chosen people, this covenant community that he was entered into relationship with that the Bible tells us is eternal. It is always covenant. Israel is always God's people. And Abram was the beginning of the first member of that covenant community. But then that covenant community plays itself out in a number of ways. And that is the second result of righteousness, which is the conduct of the covenant community. The conduct. How the community behaves. How we act. What we say. What we do. What we think about. Where our motives and our heart is. That is the conduct of this covenant community. Now, if you're already thinking a couple of steps ahead, you realize there are, in fact, some risks associated with this. When you become a part of an elect, a select group, then it's possible to become, to fall prey to some risks. I'll just call it that. Like, it's funny, I've, I've been around a number of, of guys who were really good, decent athletes in high school, but not good enough to play college, okay? It's amazing to me how many of them didn't play college for any number, my coach missed me around in recruiting, or, yeah, I had an injury, but I, I, was, going, I was going to Alabama, man, or any number of things these are the guys who are the greatest experts in the world on what your college coach or my college coach ought to be doing on a football field on Saturday afternoons. I mean, they've got it wired, man. They got it figured out. You know why? Because they play JV second string guard. <laughs> on the other hand, I've had the privilege and opportunity to get to know some special forces men and women. I'm talking about like Navy SEALs, Green Berets, people who really are the best of the best and the baddest of the baddest. They're really, by and large, very chill. They don't, they don't brag about anything. I mean, if you're going to get a story out of them, you're going to have to pry it out of them because they don't, they don't need to talk about it. They're just, they're just really pretty chill. You know why? They've already proved themselves. They've already demonstrated what they're capable of. They, they, don't, they, they don't fall prey to the same delusions of the JV second string football guard. They've proved themselves. And when it comes to being declared righteous, these are just some of the risks we need to be aware of. Number one is legalism. Just, just be aware, 
Because when you chase righteousness, when, when you listen to the words of Jesus and you decide, I'm going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, it's possible at that point to become a little legalistic in your faith, a little legalistic about what you do or don't do. Legalism is always closely associated with a second risk, and that's pride. It, it, you can get kind of prideful when you're chasing righteousness. When you see your life start to line up more and more with Scripture, and you're just kind of like, well, apparently I do have it going on. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's, that's pride. Legalism and pride can give birth to judgmentalism. And this is one we have to be so careful of. Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. Now, we have to be discerning, but we're not judgmental of other people. Jesus said, don't, don't do that, because that's like telling your neighbor he's got a speck of sawdust in his eye, and here you have a log sticking out of your eye. Judgmental. And you know what I have done? This, this is one I'm embarrassed to tell you. I, when you see judgmentalism in somebody else, or you hear somebody being judgmental about it, have you ever done what I've done and gone like, they are so judgmental. <laughs> I've gotten judgmental about judgmentalism. Not proud of that, but something to be aware of. Number four, when you're chasing righteousness, beware that you become a fraud. We, we all figure out pretty early on we're not going to reach moral perfection. But man, sometimes we try to keep that front up, that facade, don't we? We're superficially, it looks like we've got everything all figured out. Yes, praise the Lord. How are you? Good to see you this morning. Yes, Bible study this week was profound. It was deep. When in reality, you're struggling, you're hurting, you're wrestling with private sin, be careful that you're not a fraud. And when you look at legalism, pride, judgmentalism, fraud, they all lead to number five, which is isolation. Nobody gets better alone. Please understand that. Isolation is one of Satan's greatest weapons against us to divide and conquer. Isolation. That's why, that's why God says biblically, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. But, but let's... let's Consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's, it's the opposite of isolation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God, in his incredible grace and wisdom, gives us the antidote to all of these risks. This is a, this is a passage that we're going to unpack here, but I want you to follow along with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 17. The Bible says, now, therefore, if anyone, say anyone, anyone, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He believed and he was counted as righteous. She believed and she was counted as righteous. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. 
Now we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That ought to knock you out of your seat this morning. To understand the amazing grace of God, the rewards of righteousness, what it, what it looks like, what it feels like to experience, to live in the righteousness of God, to live out the righteousness of God. The first reward, there's no shame. No shame. It's what we talked about earlier with my friend professionally. It is this freedom, the freedom that you have in Christ because you're going in the right direction. You are going his direction. This freedom means you don't have to sweat the small stuff. Jesus said, don't worry about what will we eat, what will we wear, what will we drink, where are we going to live? What am I going to drive? God knows you need all these things taken care of. If you will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then you will have freedom. Freedom. The song we sang earlier, who the sun sets free is free indeed. It is for freedom that we have been set free. No shame. We all have things in our past. Everybody in this room, everybody right now, just raise your hand, please. Raise your hand. Now, take a look around the room with everybody's hand raised. Everybody that you see with their hand raised right now has things in their past they don't want you to know about. <laughs> they do. I mean, except me. So, we do. There are things that I have done, things that I've said, that even at 57 years old, I think back to when I was 14, 21, make me cringe, cringe, really glad that nobody had phones with cameras on them. <laughs> and then I remember, in Christ, I have been given the righteousness of God, the freedom that comes with righteousness the freedom that comes from knowing you're going in the right direction, that is a gift from God. When you realize that it's a gift, that's the second reward, and that is humility. Humility. I didn't earn this. Remember, grace means the unmerited, unearnable favor of God. You can do nothing. I can't do anything to achieve or to acquire the righteousness of God. God just, God just gave it to us in Christ. In Christ, it is a gift. It is the free gift of God. That means nobody gets cocky. I want you to turn to your neighbor with a smile on your face and love in your heart. Tell him, don't get cocky. Don't get cocky. You didn't do jack to get the righteousness of God. It was given in Christ, him 
He who had no sin became sin so that we might receive the righteousness of God. Wow. I mean, there's certain things that you do that you're like, well, I mean, I I don't like to brag, but yeah, I pretty much killed that. You know, over the last 10 or 12 years, I've spent a lot of time cooking meat over an open fire. And I will tell you with no pride or ego, I'm great at it. I mean, I'm good. I don't char the outside anymore. The inside is always medium rare the way God wants it. But I try not to be cocky about it. I'm just telling you the facts. Spiritually speaking, the fact is we are given the righteousness of God. Freedom and humility. Number three, we're also given the community. The community of righteousness. The community of the covenant of righteousness. That's the church, the family of faith. A place to belong. A place to learn and to grow and develop. A place of love, a place of accountability. That's a community. Number four, reward of righteousness is integrity. Integrity. I thought about this, and I I debated whether or not to share this with you, but I, I feel it so strongly. There's a thing happening in our world right now, particularly with men, that shouldn't be. There are a lot of guys who are buying boots for the first time in their lives, and they're trying to wear skinny jeans over their boots. And this is wrong. No, 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 listen, no, 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 no. This is a community, we love everyone. But please hear this. If you buy your first pair of boots, that is great. But let me tell you what's matter, what matters as much as the boots. It's the jeans you wear with the boots. They must bunch at the bottom in at least a straight leg. If there is a taper on your jeans, don't wear cowboy boots. That is a lack of integrity. You are declaring for the rest of the world, I am a, an imposter. I'm a fraud. In the same way, the righteousness of Christ reveals the integrity of the follower of Christ. When you live out the righteousness of God, that, that's integrity. The word integrity means whole or complete. Honesty and ethics is just a part of it, but it's, it's completeness, it's wholeness. And integrity is one of the rewards of righteousness. When you pursue the righteousness of God, you, you walk with an integrity, with a, a confidence and a peace that comes from that integrity. And then number five, the final reward of righteousness is collaboration. Collaboration. 
What did he say? He said, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. If I am seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then I am going to be trying to tell as many people as I possibly can about it. There are people that you know that I'll never know who don't yet know how extravagantly God loves them. We are called by God himself. You and I, we are deputized. We are authorized. We are commanded and commissioned to share the good news. When you get serious about sharing the good news, that's how you keep from becoming arrogant. When you talk to people who believe and think differently than you do and you have to stand on your own two feet and have a conversation, that's when your faith gets tested. That's when it gets forged in the fires of reality. And you see somebody that you know, that you've been praying for by name for months and years, come to know Christ, be baptized, that's when you're like, that, that's, that's the full circle. That's, that's, that's the whole thing. Your faith will be radically revolutionized if you will collaborate with the Holy Spirit of God and share the message of reconciliation. That is the missing link in 90% of Christians' faith. 90%. I'm not mad. I'm not yelling at you. I'm telling you this because I love you. This closes the loop. This closes the gap when you start leading people to Christ. When you invite somebody to come to church, I promise you, you bring them here, they're going to meet Jesus. They're going to get some incredible music, and they're going to meet Jesus. But you got to invite them. You have to step outside of your comfort zone. This isn't just about what we get out of it. This is about what we contribute to it. This is about collaborating. This is about being messengers of the good news. What does it say? We are ambassadors. Webster's defines an ambassador as an authorized or commissioned representative of a president or a king. That's an ambassador. You are an authorized messenger of the king. That's our job. That's our job. And it changes everything when we collaborate with God, when we collaborate with one another. It changes everything. This whole conversation about righteousness. Hopefully righteousness is not a word to be scared of anymore. Hopefully it's a word to be pursued and chased with everything that we've got. But it also brings into a really clear focus something that Jesus said at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter five, verses six and 10, Jesus said this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, earlier this year, we spent an entire series talking about this word blessed. We called it the God of happy. That was the series title. But remember, the word blessed in the original Greek language means a soul deep, fulfilled happiness and joy that only comes from God. That's what the word blessed means. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it, who develop a zero tolerance for sin in their lives. And when it happens, they confess it and repent from it and move on. Blessed are those people. And by the way, blessed are those people who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The conduct of the covenant community looks a little different. People will notice. There are going to be people who don't like it. There are going to be people who persecute or make fun of us for it. That's okay. Because if I hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus tells me I will be filled. If I'm persecuted for righteousness' sake, then Jesus tells me the kingdom of heaven is mine. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. You see, it's almost like Jesus knows what he's talking about. It's, it's almost like he knows what he's doing when he points us in the direction of righteousness, in the direction of knowing that we're going in the right direction. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to have a time of prayer with anyone here who wants to begin a relationship with Christ, who wants to begin knowing that you're going in the right direction, if that's you, then you pray silently right where you are, just from your heart to God, say something like this, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I, I'm not holding anything back. I'm not trying to hide anything. I confess it all so that I can receive all of your grace and forgiveness. Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me in my place so that I could become the righteousness of God. And I accept. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray in your name. I want to ask you to just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If that was your prayer, man, we celebrate that with you. If you just prayed that prayer, whether you're here in the room or you're online, we want to help with what comes next. And the best way that we can do that is right after this service, if you're here in the room, just stop by the hub on your way out. We have a, a, a gift there for you that's a packet for somebody who has just started following Jesus. It's, it's a Bible. It's a reading plan that helps you begin walking in this journey 
in this relationship. Second thing is our heads are bowed for just another moment. If that was your prayer today and you began that relationship, that journey, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high in the air for just a second as a statement of faith. And know that as a church, we honor that and celebrate it with you. And our family tradition around here, as you go ahead and put your hands down, is we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.